Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday, September 17th edition of the MMA OB Daily Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam Martin, and I'll be taking you guys through the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. Got a pretty good show lined up for everyone today. I'll be recapping Tuesday's edition of the Contender Series, talking about some of the uh, signings there. One of them was really controversial, in my opinion. Uh, give some updates to UFC on ESPN Plus 36, which, of course, takes place this weekend. And uh, as well, I have news, fight announcements. And then I have Chris Rinney uh, coming on at 1030. Chris is an artist. He's a great artist. He just released his first book of artwork and some uh, essays with Josh Rosenblatt. So definitely going to be good to talk to him. And yeah, I'm excited for that. But that's going to be at 1030. So I'll invite Chris in in about half an hour from now. But until then, it's going to be all uh, MMA talk. And let's start with contender series. So yeah, I mean, I think it was a pretty controversial signing, in my opinion. Daniel Wolf got signed. Basically, well, well I'll go through all five, five of the fights. Um, but the one signing, of course, super controversial, in my opinion. Uh, let's start with the first fight of the night. And that fight was Kyle Driscoll against Dennis Paiva. Driscoll wins a unanimous decision. However, it wasn't that impressive. He won the first two rounds and lost the third round. That is not a recipe to get signed by the UFC. And Dana White, I don't think, really liked his performance that much. The guy got the win. It does help his record. That's the thing. Dana said in uh, the, the interviews at the end where he's, he's asking who's going to get signed and stuff with Laura. He said, you know, this helps this guy's record, but he's not going to get in. But you also have to keep in mind, he also got his win bonus. And if I'm not mistaken, we don't have the salaries this year, but last year, the fighters got paid 5000 to show and 5000 to win. So, you know, for Dana, I know what he's saying. I get what he's saying. Like, you know, the guy got to win, helps his resume and whatever. He didn't mention the money. These guys need to win for their money. So, yes, it wasn't a super impressive performance. I wouldn't have signed this guy either. I don't really think he's a UFC caliber fighter. Maybe he is. I, I didn't really see it in this fight. But it's more than just a record for these guys. Dana has to realize that it's the money too. Like, these guys need to make their win bonus. So, my opinion, an okay performance, but certainly nothing that I would have signed this guy to the contract. So I think it was okay to pass on him. Next up, and this is the fight I want to talk about here. Daniel Wolf defeats Tanisha Tennant via unanimous decision. Women's featherweight boat. First women's featherweight boat in contender series history. I get it. There's not many fighters in this division. I understand that. There's like literally five fighters in this division. You got Nunez, you got Anderson, Spencer. And then you got a few other ones like uh, Zara Farron and Norma Dumont. And maybe there's someone else I'm forgetting. Holly Holm could fight this weight class if she wanted. Same with Jermaine Duran. But in general, there's at least – there's five fighters at least. But at the most, there's ten fighters in this division. So I understand why Dana wanted to sign someone. They were going to take the winner of this fight regardless, in my opinion, regardless of how the fight went. So if that's the case, why didn't they just sign them outright? Why even have them on the show? Because to me – I think this this girl's stock dropped a bit. I don't. Well, I wasn't impressed at all of Wolf's performance. I thought Tennant won the fight, guys. Most people thought Tennant won the fight. From what I saw online, most people thought she won. Tuesday nights, I'm bowling, so I taped the Contender Series just started a couple weeks ago. I've been taping it, coming home, watching it. They're going online and reading what people said. So I wasn't even influenced by what other people said. I'm just watching this fight thinking, you know, this girl's not getting signed. She's not even going to win the fight. And then she got the decision, which I was surprised by. I guess the guillotine in the third round, won her that fight on the judges' scorecards. But in my opinion, Tennant did more than a failed submission attempt, which I think should score some points because you are trying to finish the fights, you are being aggressive, and it is a kind of effective, but not really. So 
in my opinion, Tennis should have won this fight. I was pretty shocked when Dana signed her to an actual UFC deal. Developmental deal, no problem. I think that makes sense. You know, they signed guys in the past to developmental deals like Greg Hardy and a couple other guys. William Knight's another guy. I'm probably forgetting a few. I just didn't see anything about Wolf that I liked in this fight. I, I, she's a supposedly this amazing boxer. First off, I talked about this on Tuesday's podcast. Her boxing record's not great. I think it's 27-14 or 29-14, one of the two. Uh, I saw two different records out there. But either way, she has a lot of losses, most of them by decision, to be fair. But she has a lot of losses. I didn't really see these amazing boxing skills that everyone was talking about in this fight. Also, her takedown defense wasn't great. It was okay. It wasn't great. Her cardio wasn't great. I just didn't like her performance. She stuck her fingers out a lot too, a couple eye pokes. This is one of those bizarre performances that somehow earned a deal in the UFC. I don't get it. It just doesn't make sense to me. I get it. I get the fact that, you know, they need fighters in the division. She's an attractive woman. They think she, they can market her. At the end of the day, you have to win your fights. I don't know how many other uh, featherweights she can be, to be honest with you. Like, even someone like Zara Fair, who everyone thinks sucks, I think this girl could actually still lose to her. So, to me, I wouldn't have signed her. I wasn't impressed at all with her performance. And uh, in the words of GSP, and I would have passed Let's see what Ken Shiro's saying. He's here. Hey, what's up, man? Danielle has glaring holes in her MMA skills. She's not close to UFC ready. She belongs in Belter. Agreed 100%. She might be in a year. Maybe she has to work on her takedown defense, obviously. I, I think she's training at Alliance MMA, which used to be a great camp under El, Eric Del Fierro. Great coach. Uh, they had Gustafson at one time and, and Dominic Cruz, Brandon Vera, a bunch of guys. I'm not sure how big that camp is anymore. I, I guess Cruz is still there. But I feel like this is someone who – probably should move to Vegas and train full-time in Vegas and stay at the PI and, and work on her game. And to be honest with you, she is pretty jacked. Maybe she can make 135, though, and then you lose another featherweight. Either way, I just wasn't impressed. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on this fight, but it does bother me when someone like this gets signed. It's clearly not a UFC caliber fighter. But last year, when they weren't signing as many people, and I get it, the pandemic's forcing them to sign a lot more fighters. But last year, you had guys like Brendan Loftin, who had an impressive fight and he was passed over and Dana White shit on him because he went for a takedown with 10 seconds left. And a year later, they signed the guy he beat, Bill Algio, who's a UFC caliber fighter, in my opinion. We saw that in the Lamas fight. He's a good fighter. And then they signed Wolf, who's 0-1. It's just the difference between contender series last year and this year, even the first couple of seasons, where a guy like Chris Curtis, I think he had a knockout win and they passed on him. Or even, um, and people don't like this guy, but Austin Vanderford, he had a really good win. They passed on him. But they're signing fighters like this. It, kind of weird it's just it's very strange so i, I definitely want to sign her I, I think i think it's the worst signing in contender series history there might be someone else there's a couple guys that didn't win their fights in the ufc like there's a few guys like like charles bird i think he went like one in three maybe in the ufc or maybe even more oh and four i can't remember now but you know there's guys like that and there's a few other guys that went like oh and two and got cut so they weren't great signs but i i just didn't see anything about uh wolf's game that i that would have made me want to sign her it's kind of weird um what, what's he saying uh Kinshiro saying he, she's more old than jack he was going to sign her regardless as long as she won i agree with that but yeah 37 years old too which they okay when they have signed fighters that are like one and oh or two and oh or whatever it's guys like matt riddle who was in his early 20s or i guess cm punk is one case but cm punk come on i mean that that's the worst sign in ufc history that's even worse than james tony because at least james tony had the boxing experience and had that win over tim sylvia right or that was ray mercy never mind but the, you know the, you know what i'm saying like he's a boxer he had some experience and he was a championship level fighter Th this fighter i again look at her record in boxing it's not great so i don't really see what she's going to do in mma but that's enough about this fight I really don't want to talk about it anymore i wish the best for this woman but i just can't see winning too many fights in the octagon 
All right, next up, Michael Lombardo defeats Corey Coopy via unanimous decision. And once again, just like the first fight, just like the fight with uh, Kyle Driscoll, this guy won the decision. He improved his record, and he got his win bonus, but it wasn't impressive at all. You know, he just grinded this guy out, and Coopy had a couple near submission attempts in this fight, but most leagues got dominated. He's a really big dude for 170, but very tall and lanky, and really couldn't stop the takedown as much as he should have been able to against a guy like Lombardo. So he gets the win here. Dana White passed on him. I wasn't impressed at all. And not only wasn't not impressed with his performance, but the post-fight, after the fight, he's saying, you know, he's calling the guy some names and they're going back and forth. And Bisping, I think he was commentating, was like, guys, you had 15 minutes already to, like, talk smack. Like, what are you doing now? Like, you could have fought and beat each other up. Why are you doing this now after the fight's over? And I agree 100% with Bisping, who, by the way, check his Twitter out because he, he had a really good line for uh, Julie Kedzie, who was criticizing him for some of his, uh, his comments. Either way, you know, I would have passed on this guy too. I mean, he's a guy that could potentially get a short notice fight because he has been uh, a contender series a couple times now. But in general, uh, this is not the kind of guy that I don't think Dana White is, is looking for from the show. Not only do they want finishes, they just want guys that are a little bit more impressive than just uh, pretty much, I wouldn't say lane praying completely, but a lot of them it was just him kind of lying on on Coupe to get the decision. And again, he wins the fight, but it wasn't impressive. Now, next up, now this is a fight where I think you could have taken both guys potentially. And I don't think Dana signed a guy from the show coming off a loss. I think at some point they will do that though. And I think this is the kind of fight where you could have argued the guy coming off the loss also deserved the UFC deal. Great fight here. Colin Anglin defeats Muhammad John Namov. Just a great fight. I mean, these guys were going to uh, going at it for 15 minutes. They were just going to war. And Anglin pulls off a big upset here. And I'm looking in the comments, and Kenshiro says he he, he uh, put some money on him, so that's good. He was a big underdog. I think he was plus 240. And I uh, was very impressed with this guy's performance. He's obviously a little bit more seasoned, has a couple more fights than Naimov. I was impressed, though, man. I mean, this guy looked pretty good to me. He's on a seven-fight win streak now. Um, you know, a lot of his experience is over guys that are not great fighters. So looking into this fight before it happened, I wasn't, like, totally hyped up about him. But after this fight, I mean, this guy's pretty good. And I'm excited to see him fight again in the UFC. 100% deserved a deal, Anglin. Even though he didn't get the finish, it doesn't matter because the fight was that good. It was a great fight. And again, for me, it's not all about finishes. I just know Dana is looking for that. He talks about every show. I want to see a finish. I want to see you want it really bad. So I think that's what these guys show in this fight. They both wanted to win this fight. Even in the third round, they were both extremely tired. Namov was like taking shots. Like his hands weren't even blocking his face. He's still firing back though. That guy's got a hell of a chin, by the way. So Namov... That's his first loss. He's 5-1 and one now. But, again, I think he'll get signed eventually. They, he might even get signed, like, for a short notice fight in the next couple months. Hopefully he takes a couple months off, though. I mean, this guy definitely took a beating in this fight. But I think he'll be in the UFC at some point. But, yeah, Anglin, for sure, definitely a good contract by, here by uh, Dana White, for sure. And the main event, this was another no-brainer. Jordan Williams defeats Gregory Rodriguez, first-round knockout. I will say, Rodriguez's chin in this fight didn't look too good. Uh, the way he was taking those shots against the fence, I don't know, man. The guy's chin definitely looks like an issue going forward. So, obviously, he lost the fight. I, I don't think he's going to be in the UFC anytime soon. But who knows? Maybe he pulls off a couple wins. But, man, that his chin really worries me going forward. Just the way he was taking those shots. Go watch the replay. The way his eyes were rolling back, that's scary. Jordan Williams, though, uh, definitely a pretty good prospect. 29 years old, so he's kind of in his prime right now. It's his third time in Contender Series. He won his first fight by knockout. But he tested positive for marijuana, and the fight was overturned. Since then, he's picked up a couple wins. Bellator had the loss last year to Kerr and made up by split decision and got another chance this year in Contender Series and made the most of it and got in. 
So kind of like Jamie Pickett a few weeks ago, he had a couple chances, and you look at him, and it was like, eh, he's not too impressive. Then he gets in. I think for sure you got to get this guy a deal. After this knockout, hey, just one decision, probably not, but you got the first round finish. I mean, that's exactly what Dana's looking for. So in my opinion, a good signing, and I'm excited to see this guy in the UFC. Let's uh, let's go through some comments here. Kinshiro says, Naimov, I thought might be the first death in the UFC. You didn't want to quit. The guy's super tough, man. Super tough. It just showed how bad he wanted it. Seriously, like a lot of guys would just turtle up and, and cover up and take the TKO loss. This guy was like, you know what? I'm going to go the full 50 and try to win. So I got to respect that, man. You know, um, but first death in the UFC, I mean, that's harsh. Having said that, I mean, at some point, it probably will happen at some point. I mean, the sport's going to be around a long time. going to be around a lot longer than I'm going to be on the earth and. I don't want to be there for when it does happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if one day we do see someone get seriously injured or, like Kenshiro said, even worse than that. Uh, and Kenshiro has another comment. Jordan deserved a contract and uh, three contender series appearance, and the man cut cup weight due to diabetes. Yeah, he was the guy that uh, said – I think he said he used his contender series money to like to uh, help with his medicine costs, which is just really sad to hear. But, uh, you know, the guy's definitely got – you know, some issues that some medical issues, but man, he looked good in this fight. So I'm fine with him getting a deal. I'll take a com con uh, comment here from Damon, but I want to go through some news here before Chris jumps in. Uh, Damon says, UFC going to get Chandler to fight Tony. That is on my list of stuff to talk about. So I'll talk about it in a minute here. Um, I just want to give an update. That's it for contender series, by the way. I, I, again, I didn't like the Wolf deal, but the other two were fine with Anglin and, and Williams. If anyone has any other thoughts, go ahead and, and uh, send them in the comments here. But yeah, UFC on ESPN plus 36. Of course, myself and Cole, we broke down the entire card. All 14 fights, we broke them down on Tuesday. So go back and listen to Tuesday's podcast. It's available on YouTube, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, a bunch of places. So no excuse not to listen to that show. It was a good show this week, too. So definitely check it out. I picked a bunch of dogs, so did Cole. So definitely go and check it out. But we do have a couple updates. First off, Mirsad Bektic is out of his fight with uh, Eduardo Garagori. Actually, Garagori out of the fight. He's... He's fine, but his cornerman tested positive for COVID-19. Obviously, DC has been pretty vigilant about that stuff. So anytime a cornerman's tested positive, they're pulling the, the fighter that they're cornering. So he's been pulled from the card, which leaves Mishad Bektic without an opponent. The card is on Saturday. Wayne's are tomorrow. At this point, I'm not sure. I know Cole talked to uh, Mursad, and Mursad said that they were waiting for another opponent. But at this point, with the fight being two days away, we haven't heard anything. I don't know if he's going to fight. Then again, Kevin Kroon last week, he stepped in during the weigh-ins to fight. So it's possible they could fight someone in the next 24 hours. Maybe they have already. Maybe they're doing medicals. Not 100% sure what's going on behind the scenes. I hope Mercer stays on the card. Um, and I imagine he'd be a pretty big favorite over whoever he fights because they'll probably be like a newcomer or something or a regional scene guy. But uh, yeah, you know, it's too bad this fight's not happening. I was actually looking forward to it. I, I was picking Mersad. I picked up the podcast, but I thought Gary Gorey actually had a pretty good chance to win the fight. So. We'll see what happens. Damon says, that sucks. I like Gary Gorey as a dog. I was thinking about him too. I didn't pick him, but I was definitely like looking at him. And I think there was some value on him at plus, what was the last odds? Plus 410, which is kind of nuts against the guy in Mursad, who has good wrestling, but an iffy chin. Ken Shiro says, Chandler's willing to fight for 120. Meanwhile, Poirier wants 300K plus. I think Poirier wants more than that. I'm pretty sure he's already making that, man. So I think he, I think he probably wants close to seven figures. I don't know if he wants seven, but... Whatever Poirier wants, he deserves. But I'll talk about that in a second. I'm, you know what? I might as well get into it right now. Okay, so after Contender Series on Tuesday, Dana White was asked about Dustin Poirier and the news that the fight with Ferguson's fallen out. Dana said, I really like Dustin. 
I don't want to say anything bad about him, but the kid didn't want to fight. That's exactly what he said. He said, the guy doesn't want to fight and the fight's off and we're looking for someone else to fight Tony. He says they have someone in mind. I think he said the contract's been sent out. So you're thinking either Dan Hooker or Michael Chandler, maybe Benil Darius. Those are the, kind of the only guys I could think of right now. There's still a chance I think they could get Poirier in this fight with Ferguson. It's a slight chance. though. So at this point, this card is just over a month away. I feel like these guys are probably going to end up fighting at some point, but not on this card, UFC 254. It's just too soon. You know, only four or five weeks for a really elite fight here between two guys who are some of the best in the world, probably fighting for a number one contender fight, or maybe even stepping in for a title shot if something happens to either Habib or Dustin, uh, Justin Gaethje. You know, I can see why these guys want a full camp. I'm 100% Dustin Poirier's side here. I mean, I'm always going to be pro fighter. That's just how I am because, in my opinion, we would not have a sport without the fighters. I mean, that's just a fact. It's true that Dana White's an important figure, and Dana, he makes a lot of decisions that a lot of us question a lot of times. A lot of them end up being good decisions for him and for his business. In this particular case, I get it. COVID-19 era, businesses are cutting costs. I get that. But Dustin Poirier, this is one of the best guys in the world. This is one of the most exciting guys in the world. I love Dustin Poirier. He's amazing. He really is a great fighter. Whatever he wants, he should get from the UFC. I'm not sure why they're lowballing this guy. Give him what he wants. I get it. It's not a main event. I understand that. It's not a title fight. But it's a number of contender fight, and he might even still end up filling in and fighting for the belt. Guy's coming off one of the greatest fights ever against Dan Hooker. An amazing fight. Dana White was not there for that fight, by the way. He was not there live. He, he was in Abu Dhabi getting ready for Fight Island because it was the week before. So I, I don't know if it would have changed things had he been there live, sitting there like he does for Katera Series with on his little piece of plexiglass watching the fights without his mask on. Maybe that would have changed things. I really hope they can come together and, and get the numbers right and make this fight. Again, maybe not 254, but maybe a 255 or a 256 or something. I, I don't know. Or even maybe headlining a fight card. I kind of feel like that fight should be five rounds anyways, Ferguson and uh, Poirier. But if they don't make it, and this gets back to what Damon is asking, Michael Chandler is reportedly in talks, signed with the UFC, and he could be the replacement for Dustin Poirier here against Tony Ferguson. And if that's the case, fans are going to be like, that's fine with me. Most fans will say, that's cool. No worries. We get to watch a great fight either way. And it is a good fight. Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson is a great fight. Chandler versus anyone in the top 10 is a great fight. But Poirier versus Ferguson is a better fight. Poirier versus Ferguson is the fight that needs to happen. That's the fight I was saying needs to happen. It just makes so much sense. Both guys basically are – it's basically the number one and two guys right now, obviously, Habib and Justin. And then you have three and four, Tony and, and, and uh, Dustin. Those are the top four guys in the world. So it really does make sense to match them both up against each other. Obviously, you have Connor in there too, but he's not even fighting at this point. He's got some legal issues, as we all know. So I don't know. I I know Dana said that they've already talked to someone else, but I feel like they could still get something done here. I just don't think it's going to happen at 254. Kenshiro says, deserved in what UFC is willing to pay are two different things, unless you can sell past 1 million pay reviews like Corey and Connor. You are right about that. Having said that, I mean, Corey. Had he sold a million before he got that fight with uh, Usman? And also, Dana didn't want to pay him anything until they had to. <laughs> Imagine that happens. Imagine they had they need someone to buy Habib or, or Justin Gaethje at the last minute, and they have to call Buster Poria. Imagine that. Then he might get what he wants. But Kevin Scott, how's it going, Kevin? Wish Dustin had a better manager. He'd be under a contract he thought was acceptable. Yeah, definitely. I, I know what you guys are saying, too. I mean, that's another fair point, I think, to make. Like, these guys signed their deals. That's what their deal is. 
And, and, and that goes for pretty much any walk of life. Like, you sign a contract, you have to honor it. I get that. But you look at a sport like the NFL, and I know the NFL and UFC, it's, it's peanuts. You know, you're comparing apples and oranges. I get that because it, it's a far bigger sport. But they renegotiate deals all the time in the NFL, all the time. Mostly it's for cap restructuring purposes. I get that. But they'll give guys raises. Like uh, Jason Peters, he got a raise recently. He's um, he's a, a tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. They re-signed him to play guard. When someone else got injured and they had to move him to tackle, he's like, I want more money. And they did it. So in this case, you know, you see they need Dustin to fight Tony. He, sh- he sh- deserves whatever he's asking. I think that they should pay him a million bucks. Fine. I mean, he might be getting paid close to that behind the scenes. We don't really know, but love the guy. I just hope that they can come together. And it just sucks seeing a guy like Dustin Poirier so universally loved kind of getting, you know, his critical comments from Dana White. It's just so undeserved from a guy that's putting his life on the line every fight. Like, look at his wars, man. Dustin Poirier is an absolute beast. And to say he doesn't want to fight is a joke. And if you're a professional athlete, if you're a professional MMA fighter, and you're, you're told you don't want to fight, like, isn't that insulting? I'd say that's pretty damn insulting, right? I think so. Kevin Scott, I think Corey Nate is what opened the UFC's, UFC's eyes towards drawing power. True, for sure. I don't think that did a million. It might have broken it. can't remember now. But, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Good good call. David says, Dustin was just another warrior. I'm sure he's in no rush to get back and can still play his strong cards. For sure. I mean, even if he doesn't take the fight now, he could always fight the winner of Ferguson Chandler if that fight happens, you know, in a couple months. And I'm 100% with you, Damien. I felt like this was kind of soon for him to come back after that incredible fight with uh, Dan Hooker, who, by the way, he's thrown his name out and he says he wants to fight Tony. That fight could happen. That'd be kind of ironic. The guy who lost you ends up getting the fight instead. That'd be kind of, that'd be so UFC. I'll just say that. All right, I'm going to get Chris in here in about 10 minutes, but until then, i got a couple other things to talk about. Uh, Daniel Cormier this week, he was talking about something called the Aura Ring in an interview with Kevin Aoli, and at the end of the interview, he basically slipped out. He's like, I had COVID-19, and this thing helped me figure out that I had it, but we had no idea about this heading into the CBA fight. Like, no one knew. Dana was asked about this. He said the UFC knew, but they knew DC was also feeling better, and the doctor said he was going to be fine. That's why they didn't do anything about it, but... It's just bizarre the way the story broke, you know, just kind of like in almost like an advertisement for this aura ring. And then it's like, oh, by the way, DC, who just fought for the heavyweight title, who's like one of the most famous fighters in the UFC, he tested positive, but we didn't talk about that. Now, some people are going to say that's private, confidential medical information to a certain extent, but these guys are also public figures too. I do think it's important to know, like, if someone like DC is getting testing positive for COVID-19, shouldn't Stipe know? Like maybe he knew, but from what we know, no one really knew except for Cormier and the UFC. It's bizarre. The other guy who tested positive is Tiago Santos. This sucks because first off, his opponent Glover Teixeira tested positive a couple weeks ago. The fight was already moved back. Now it's probably going to move back again. Dana said they might give Glover another fight. I don't know who that'd be. I guess Rakic would be a good, good fight for him potentially in October, but it does suck that uh, Tiago Santos is I think that would have been such a good fight, Santos and Glover. I think Santos was the favorite, if I'm not mistaken, but Glover for sure had a chance to win that fight. Uh, that would have been a good fight. Yeah, I don't see the odds up right now. Either way, it would have been a good one, but uh, hopefully Tiago Santos feels better soon. They can rebook it. I'm not sure what they're going to do here, guys. Uh, they could reschedule it, but you know, if, if Tiago's going to be out for a while, then maybe they'll just uh, give Glover someone else to fight October 3rd. That fight's coming up soon in two weeks, though. So. We'll see what happens there. Uh, just getting a couple of fight announcements before Chris gets in here. Uh, I have Caitlin Vieira against Jar Eubanks. That fight's going to happen next week. 
interesting fights. Sergey Banks taking on super short notice for the injured Miriam Renault. Kaylee Vieira, she is one of the top prospects at women's bantamweight. She was ranked like number three for a long time. Right now she's seven based on her first four fights, which included a win over Kat Singano and also Sarah McMahon. But her last fight, she gets knocked out brutally by Rang Aldana. I was at that fight. She was actually doing pretty good in that fight. Just got massively knocked out with a huge punch. So it, it happens. It, it's MMA, but uh, it's still pretty high on her. She's only 29. She's she's a good age for this division. You know, Sajar Eubanks, 35 years old, a lot older. But she's coming off two straight wins, including a really nice underdog win against Julia Villa in her last fight to improve her record to 6-4. and four. Overall, she is... Four and th four and two in the UFC, so it does have a winning record somehow. But I don't know. I gotta go with Caitlin Vieira. I think in this fight, guys, uh, I would say she's probably gonna be favored. But again, I'll, I'll wait till the odds come out before I actually give my official pick. Just gonna send Chris the invite here. He'll come in. The other fight announcement here. This one's interesting. This guy Matias Gamrod. He's a champion case dub. He's gonna fight Magomed Mustafaev, who's just uh, had an opponent injured. So. This guy, Gamrot, 17-0. Everyone's talking about him. He's got a lot of nice wins. Uh, Norman Park, he fought a couple times. This guy's solid. And he's already fought twice this year, twice in the last three months. So this guy's an interesting fighter for sure. I think he's a good prospect. Having said that, Mustafaev, pretty experienced guy. And he was coming off uh, a really close fight with Brad Riddell overall in the UFC. He's 3-2. and two. He hasn't fought that much. He's been in the UFC for five years, only has five fights. But overall, pretty impressive in that win over... Uh, Raphael Fizia by spinning back kick knockout. That looks pretty good, you know, looking back on it. But uh, he was supposed to fight Renato Macanio, and the fight was pulled due to Macanio getting, uh, I guess, probably injured. I mean, hopefully he's not sick with COVID. It just says he withdrew here on Topology. Hopefully he's not sick either. I don't know if we're going to find out there. But, uh, yeah, uh, let's go through some other fight announcements just while uh, I'm waiting for my guest here. Let's see a couple other ones here. Justin, I'm looking at Marcel's uh, Instagram. He's great. Had him on in like last month. Marcel's awesome. Justin Nayari against, uh, oh, actually, yeah, Luigi Fender Mini. I mean, this is kind of a surprising fight. These guys haven't fought both in forever, and they're not that great, but they're getting another chance. The only other fight, and I completely forgot to mention this earlier, when I was doing my updates for UFC on ESPN Plus 36, Miguel Beza versus Jeremiah Wells. That fight's happening this weekend. So i got to break it down quickly. Um, according to the odds, let's take a look at them. Miguel Beza, minus 325, Wells plus 250. you got to go with uh, Miguel Beza in this fight, guys, obviously. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a no-brainer pick, in my opinion. Like, minus 325, it's a little, it seems a little high, but this guy is really impressive coming off that nice win over Matt Brown by knockout. And he takes on Jeremiah Wells here, taking the fight on super short notice for the injured Mickey Gall, 33 years old, 8-2-1 record. He is coming off two straight wins in CFFC, but overall, I mean, this is a big step up in competition. All right, I got my guest here. Chris, can you hear me? Yeah, man. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. All right, guys. Thanks so for having me on. Yeah, no worries, man. So, guys, this is Chris Rainey. He is an artist in the MMA space and very unique position, I think. Um, Chris, you work for Bloody Elbow right now, and you've been for uh, obviously writing for Vice, uh, Vice and Fightland in the past. Chris just released his first book, guys. So congratulations to you, fine sir. The Fine Art of Violence. That's your new book. That is correct. Thank you very much. Congrats, man. That's 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 a big thing. Like, how how's the reception been so far? I know it just came out. Well, I got awesome confirmation this morning that uh, the first print run sold out. So I am absolutely thrilled. Uh, I was really, you know, I was nervous. I was very anxious about uh, about putting something out, and you know, 
look, I make fine art, I make boutique art, I make high-end stuff. And I was really worried that like people who are raised on an internet culture would feel like, why should I pay for anything? But um, the, the response was just fantastic. I'm so thrilled. I made a, I made a downloadable PDF version uh, for anybody who, you know, wasn't able to get it. And a couple people have bought those, but just the fact that people were in on the book itself, such a thrill, such a thrill. Dude, it's amazing. It's called, again, guys, it's called The Fine Art of Violence, and it's co-written by Josh Rosenblatt. He used to be, I think, the editor of Fightland. So, Chris, that's I, right. I think that's where you guys started. Like, my first question was going to be, how'd you get into MMA and, and the MMA space? Just go ahead, man. Talk about your, your journey in this uh, crazy world we call MMA. Yeah, well, in my in my early 30s, I, I like, kind of retired from being a musician. and I use that loosely, retired from being a struggling musician. And I'd always been an artist and I was like, okay, listen, this is where I'm going to put my, my efforts now, my creative efforts. And, um, I was working, uh, like kind of a dead end job as an accountant, uh, for this like struggling hospital that had, you know, not much money to spend. So I didn't have a lot of work to do. And I just spent all day watching YouTube. I just got hooked on fight videos. And eventually I just, uh, I had to, I had to, I couldn't understand why certain people were winning and, and I just kind of went from like voyeuristically watching knockouts to like obsessively researching the history of the sport. And, uh, I spent about two years watching old fights and, uh, you know, learning about who all the champions were and what styles, uh, were prevalent and, and dominant until, so that was like 2008 when I got the job. And then I didn't start watching contemporary UFC events until, um, um, I think UFC 117, that was like Rashad versus Rampage. And that, but it took me two years to catch up, you know, to feel like, I, cause I couldn't really enjoy fights at a certain point where I was like, I didn't really understand like the positions, especially the grappling ones. And it really was helpful to, to watch old stuff, you know, watch it evolve. Absolutely, man. And, and how long have you been doing the, the MMA art thing for like for, for a website? I know that you started fighting, like, I think 2012, is that, is that kind of how it's been going? I think the end of 2012, I think in, in the beginning of 2013, that's when my column started. Sweet. And uh, I did that through uh, through 2014. And then uh, I started having kids. And uh, I actually had like really bad carpal tunnel uh, problems with my oh. arm. And I took a long break. And then in um, maybe 2018, I was like, man, I, I got to get back in. And I, uh, I just... I just started making this this cartoon, this editorial cartoon, and Bloody Elbow picked me right up. Yeah, and I did that for about I don't know six months, nine months. I had a weekly, um, weekly uh, cartoon with them, and then I I was down in Texas visiting my in laws, and I met up with Nate, you know, Nate Wilcox, the uh, guy who started Bloody Elbow, and I was like, hey man, look, I have this idea, where there was this New York uh, sports cartoonist named Bill Gallo. And he would do a, do a cartoon every single day in the daily paper about the New York teams, about whatever happened. And I was like, I want to be that guy for MMA. Just like to comment on the news, comment on the fights, and just do like almost like the far side, like a single panel. And he would, he just totally, he, would, he, he, he believed in me, you know? He's like, all right, let's go for it. And I was doing it. Started out five, then we were doing four days. I think it was a little, it was a little weird to like, hit people with that right away and then we went down to four days a week and then everything stabilized and it was it's fantastic i started doing it full time and uh only only with the the pandemic and whatnot uh we had to bump it down to two days a week but by going full time at bloody elbow that's what allowed me to make this book 
And if you don't mind, could I give a little uh, explanation to the folks who are, might not know anything about this? Absolutely. Uh, Go ahead, man. So my, my major issue with MMA is that it doesn't have a season, like a World Series, like a climax that allows you to hit the reset button. And I think that causes us to, like you've, I'm sure you and a million other people feel like MMA fans have like this short-term memory problem. You know, like you have a great fight and it kind of gets washed away by the crush of the schedule itself. Right. So I thought, you know, I'm gonna start drawing on, on January 1st. And I'm going to go through to December 31st and I'm going to like take everything that happened that's notable, that's significant, that deserves to be remembered. Maybe like, you know, uh, obviously like some of the champions are having like the career year. Some, uh, some, some younger people are just bursting onto the scene. Some fighters have like the best fight of their lives. I'm going to draw all those things and then I'm going to put it in a book. And I worked with Josh to do a series of small essays. So there's about 100 drawings in the book and about 10 essays in the book. And it's a way for people to be like, this was a year. So this is 2019. This is like the emergence of like of Israel Adesanya, like the, you know, uh, Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz, like kind of like taking control of their careers, you know, like the ever prevalent uh, Donald Cerrone, uh, a lot of interesting things, so, you yeah. know. Uh, so that that's kind of the the idea behind the book, and that's why it's called Volume One. Volume Two will be the year twenty twenty. Uh, I'm already oh, working on that. Are you working on it? Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. Let me see if this works here. I'm gonna try sharing the the book here. Uh, mm -hmm. See if I can see if this works. Is that working? Can we see that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There it is. Awesome. As you can see, out of oh, stock. Out of stock. Sold out. Congratulations. Yeah. That's dude, that's a serious accomplishment. I mean, I'm not Thank sure you printed. If you go to the top right and it says gallery, you can get a couple uh couple images from the book. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Here we go. Here we go. Look at that. That's Wiley Zhang. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely Zhang, yeah. That's awesome, man. <laughs> Look at this one, guys. This is I'm telling you, like I mean, this is the first time we've talked for Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, and, I'm losing you. And I know a lot of people, obviously. Oh, worries. You still there? Yeah, I see you. Yeah, yeah. Let me I got close you the now. window. That's okay. probably what. Yeah, maybe that's what's going down yeah, there. Too bad. But yeah, yeah no, like nice. I was saying, I really liked your work, man. And I know some people, obviously, you know, maybe Bloody Elbow might not be their favorite website, but still, I think that they can appreciate yeah. what you do, Chris, because I know it can be political at times, but it's hilarious. It's hilarious, man. And and you yeah. obviously have you know an amazing sense of humor. Um, one of my one of my best friends in the business, Chris Dan. He's uh, obviously one of your main guys there, so I've heard good things mm -hmm. about you. Uh, you've you know behind the scenes and stuff. But, you know, awesome. Getting back to the book, man. Like it's pretty cool you brought Josh in, and obviously it's not just an art book. There's also a written component to it. Can you mm -hmm. just talk a little bit more about that as well. Oh yeah. Well, I come from a fine arts background where there's often a lot of uh, uh, theoretical ideas behind work, especially stuff in, I don't know, the second half of the 20th century, where you have things like conceptual art and, you know, abstract expressionism, where there's like the ideas behind it definitely add a lot of clarity to the imagery. Not everything is, is like you look at it and you understand it. I think that's sometimes the difference between fine art and illustration. I think with illustration, the point is you're supposed to get it 
from the imagery alone. And I think in fine art, you have to have a little bit of knowledge or a little bit of context. So I, some of my images, there really is a ton of context behind it. Uh, one really good example is um, the uh, Paige Van Zandt versus Rachel Ostevich drawing. Um, I purposely didn't include their faces. I just, it was just a tangle of limbs uh, right, when, right before she locks in the arm bar that, uh, that really wrecks uh, Rachel's arm. I did that because uh, so much of their the marketing that goes behind certain women has to do with their attractiveness. So I, I wanted to, and I happen to have been at that fight live, and it was a great one. It was great. It's awesome to watch scrambles. It's awesome yeah. to watch good grappling mixed with mixed with striking. And that was one of those fights where what happened in the cage overshadowed the lead up. You know, it was the terrible domestic violence stuff. Uh, and I, I felt like I wanted this to be about combat, even though they're beautiful women. Like, this is about combat. You know, that's what happened in that moment. So that's where uh, my, my perspective came from. So it was, it was great to talk with Josh about that stuff and have him craft uh, an essay explaining. Basically, you could pick this book up. You know, I, I made this book so that you could pick it up 10 years from now and still enjoy it. And still be like, oh, cool! Like I understand what was going on in MMA at that time, and you should be able to, you know, this sport is special enough that it it's it has a history that goes beyond hagiography. Hey, you know, that's kind of that's kind of we're still kind of shaking off the chains of that. We're 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 still so often just lionizing people, and I think it's you know, that gets tiresome. That doesn't age well. It's like once we have a nuanced discussion about things, that's the stuff that lasts for generations. That's awesome, man. Look at our comment here. Kenshiro, congrats, brother, MMA, a martial artist. Arts, arts, and art. Actually, Kenshiro is also a New York. I think you're a New York guy. He's also, yeah, yeah, I am. He's a New York guy too, so he's on, He's always in the chat room. Um, awesome. Yeah, is anything else you want to talk about with the, with the book? Because I wanted to ask you about, obviously, some of the comments you had made recently on Twitter about something else, but anything else? Yeah. Did you want to plug or, or share? Well, oh yeah. Uh, number one, the book is only available at chrisreeny.com. Um, actually, I had somebody recently just today asked me if I was going to sell it through Amazon. I was like, I ain't giving those guys any money. They got enough money. They got enough of my money. You know how many diapers I bought through them? You know how much freaking shit I bought through those guys? F them. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm. I want to tell you two things. Number one, I secured six fantastic writers for volume two. Josh is coming back. We're going to have Shaheen Alshadi, Chuck Mindenhall, Julie Kedzi, Fernanda Prates, Eugene S. Robinson, and Schwan Humes. Uh, just an amazing, amazing cast. You know, uh, I sent all of these folks advanced copies of the book and they all said yes, that they would write for the volume two. And I just, that, that just made me feel amazing. You know, that's just, yeah. you know, the response from the community the enthusiasm that people have met this with really kind of humbled me a little bit. I really do feel lucky that my work is being recognized at this point. And number two, uh, I have a YouTube channel, you know, Chris Reaney, I'm on YouTube and I will be streaming and video cataloging the making of volume two. So while it's cool to see the finished work, uh, if you like to see, if you want to chat about the fights and what's going on and what deserves to be in the book, you know, that's, that's the place where we can get into a nice, you know, high quality internet argument of whether or not something <laughs> belongs in volume two. Yeah, so awesome. YouTube, Chris Reaney, I'll be, 
I'll be showing the making of the book, uh, volume two. That's sweet, man. I mean, Chuck is one of the best guys ever to write with me. Like, he's a legend. Yeah, man. I've met Chuck. He's an awesome dude as well. So, a great guy. I, I can't wait to read his, his column. And obviously, Sean's great. Mm -hmm. I work with him in MMA ratings. So, I'm, I'm very well aware of Sean. And, you know, we're, we're uh, co workers there. So, that's awesome. Man. I mean, there's some big names there. And, dude, honestly, all the best in that second book. But, you know, I do want to talk about just a few other things you know, sure. related with you. So, Recently, you had made a comment on Twitter, and we talked. You said you were going to be able to talk about this. Now, I don't really need to name any names, but there was a prominent MMA journalist who, essentially, um, is one of the biggest journalists in the sport. I'll just say that, and and his co-host is, is a big name fighter, and they have been using art from, um, I, I guess, an up and coming artist. I'm not really sure what the correct. No, word. I would say that's an established person. Yeah, okay. they're you know they have their own business. Fair enough. Absolutely. Okay, so. A guy who's really good at his art, obviously, and uh, a guy who is basically doing it for exposure. Now, it's really interesting we're talking about this because I'm a writer, right? So, of course, I started writing for free, and I didn't want to, but I knew I had to. And right. it's unfortunately part of this business. I get that. But once you're established, and like you're saying, he's an established guy, especially when you're working. Like, when I started, man, I was working for small websites, you know, just trying to get my name out there, trying to, you know, yeah. start writing. This guy is working with some pretty big names who obviously – are pretty wealthy. I'd say at least one of them, you know, noticeably wealthy. He's talked about it recently in podcasts himself. So I know your, your comments, um, they were met with some flack, but I agreed hundred percent what you said, man. So I'd love to hear you just maybe expand on, on your comments about, uh, you know, not writing for, or, or, or doing art for exposure, um, but actually getting paid for your craft. Right. Well, um, without digging people's names up, what gets me is the idea that you know you should that that a corporation like a billion dollar corporation yeah, yeah. is like you know do work for free for them in the hopes that what that like some MMA fan is gonna scratch together their their like extra change to commission you to draw a portrait of their favorite person. It's like it is an ass backwards way of looking at the at the world, you know. Like who I'm a, whenever I see people ask things about for exposure, it's like, for who can you name me? Can you name me this person that's going to pay me money later? If you think my work is good enough that it deserves money, then yeah. you're the one who's going to pay me money. If you want it, you have already shown that it has value. And also this is a message for any creative person, anybody with a skill or a craft. You tell people what you're worth. And if you do something for nothing, you just told them that you're not worth something. Yeah. You have to stand up for yourself and you have to decide what your value is. You're the one who sets the terms for your own for your own world, for your for your own income, for your life. And yeah. I feel for you, Adam, that you had to write for free because I know when I worked for Vice Man, I worked for peanuts and that's just life, you know. I, I I've done it myself. And I, this the shitty thing is like I don't feel good about what I did, you know, uh, even though, man, it has paid dividends. You know, I know Josh, I worked with Josh. Mm -hmm. He, he yeah, we have a relationship now almost 10 years later. So sometimes it's not about the money, but like, man, are you meeting? I get it. Co a coworker for life at every one of those jobs. Are you know, like, and that's not the thing that they're promising. They're not promising, no. you know, someone who's going to care about you. And someone's who's going to help your career for the rest of your life. They're saying someone else will pay you money. So look, at the end of the day, 
when somebody wants something from you, it's up to you to decide how you should be treated. You know, and it's a hard thing when you're a young artist. It's a hard thing when you're a young creative person because you don't have the track record and it's easy to exploit people. It's easy to get what you want out of them. Yep. And it's, I think at the end of the day, it's like corporations, they can kiss your ass. No corporation should ever, ever get anything for free from out of an individual. <laughs> I can, I can get a little. I can get a little passionate about these things, but I don't know about that, dude. And yeah, I mean, for me myself, um, I, I I went to school for journalism, and uh, I I did have to take an internship. I got a job like just a couple months later, which was good. But later on, I, I um, worked for Sportsnet, which is Sportsnet is one. It's like it's like the ESPN of Canada. I'll say okay. that. Okay. Okay. We'll just say that. Promised money. You know, can you write for us? We'll get you credentials to UFC events. You get to go to the UFC events. Right. I'm 22 years old out of school. What do you think yeah. I said, Chris? Hell yeah. Of course I would take it. So I did it. I got to see some good fights. GSP, Nick Diaz, some other ones, man. Gustafson versus John Jones. I saw that fight. Wow, nice. So I saw some good fights, but they kept promising money. And, you know, I did it for free. And uh, a friend of mine who's a really prominent Canadian journalist, he also did it. And it's worked out well for him in, in, in the end because mm – -hmm of the experience he got and, and experience I got too, it did work out, but I always felt awful about it to be honest with you. And I remember I had multiple like talks with the people that worked there and the guy who hired me was like, listen, man, I can't promise you anything right now, but you know, we will get you on eventually. And can you, can you do some writing for us? And I was like, okay, sure. And it wasn't like a ton of writing. It was like once a month usually, right. or whatever, but I just didn't feel good about it. Eventually I was like, this is complete BS. And I've been, you know, stupid to do it for so long, but it seemed good at the time. I mean, I remember I went down and, and there was a photo shoot and, and I, I dressed, dressed up in a suit and I was part of the staff. And then all of a sudden it's just like, we don't have any money for you. Like, do you want to write for free anymore? And I'm like, no, because at that point I was like a few years into my career and I was like, right. this, this isn't right. And you know, now, um, now I, I know what I'm, I, I know what I'm worth. I think I'm worth more than what I'm, you know, I'm making right now, Chris, but right. I think most of us do. Most of us yeah. Poirier does too, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> How high the idea, the fact that this goes on, no matter how high you go, no matter how far your career goes, it's like it should be a lesson to everyone that like you're never gonna crest. Like no one's ever gonna be like, ah, hey buddy, you're in the club now. Like when you take, when you like show them your belly, like you know what I mean? Like right away, they're like, all right, yep. you you get put in a in a, you almost get put in a category. Like yes. okay, cool. That's good advice there, guys. Like anyone listening, that's good advice. He's right. I mean, it's true. And looking back, I mean, what I did, the truth is, Chris, I probably would have still did it again just because at that point in my life, like it was the right decision. But, you know, as someone who's already did that, being this guy recently, in my opinion, get taken advantage of, you know, again, working for a big, like not really for the big corporation, but indirectly for them, it kind of blows your mind. It's like, wow. And like, if he's getting exploited, who else is? Who else that we don't know about? Right, exactly. I mean, if you looked at, I, you know, obviously I work at Bloody Elbow. I read a lot of John Nash's work. Yeah. And you get the feeling that, like, every single fighter, you know, if you, if you, every single, literally every single fighter is like possibly getting exploited or at least a share of money that could conceivably be attributed to them is not being repatriated to them. And it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to look at that and feel like, you know, I want to be part of this, even though. So if I'm going to relate this back to the book, okay. part of 
all of that stuff factors in in the most subtle of ways in that I remove everything. Uh, you may notice uh, from the imagery, there's no cage, there's no advertisements, there's no ref, there's no crowd, because I want this to be about what goes on between combatants, like the sport itself. You know, even even sometimes people have their like whatever their signature trunks. Occasionally, I'll even change. Sometimes I'll keep that. Sometimes I'll change it because I want this to be about like the human body, which at the end of the day, like we own ourselves, you know, like no matter what a corporation does to like, you, you sign away your, the, like the, your name and your likeness, like no one can ever take you away from you, you know? And it's really hard for us to grasp that sometimes because I feel like so many of us are literally like struggling to survive these days. Uh, but all you have is yourself, you know, that's, that's it. No. And it's hard to, it's hard to put it into words, but so much can be stripped away from your life and you have to realize what, what's truly there forever. And, uh, this is kind of like a representation of that. What's, what's there. Chris Rini guys, the fine art of violence available for ebook purchase on his website chrisbrain.com chris thanks so much for joining me today man I really oh man it. pleasure pleasure anything else you want to plug do a quick and you know we'll get out of here together go ahead oh man uh if you guys like uh street art and like something that whereas i blend uh you know violence and fine art um one of my closest friends is an amazing artist his name is he uh writes under chris r w k you can see that's a portrait of me and my wife back there that he mm -hmm. did for us He's, uh, we've been friends for over 20 years and, uh, if anybody likes, uh, you know, Banksy, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Keith Haring, he's kind of in that genre of people he's been doing. He started an online gallery 20 years ago. Dude was way ahead of me, way, way ahead of the curve. Um, he's got a couple famous spots here in New York or that are like, kind of like Instagram hotspots and people want to take pictures in front of his, uh, sure. murals. Anyway, that's one of my best friends. I love him. And he's a great artist. If you want more great art, Chris R W K. Thanks Chris for joining us, man. Feel free to uh, press that little button and I'm going to sign off in a second here. Thanks okay, again. Man. Really Thank you so much for having me. It's been Don't a pleasure. Worry, man. That was awesome. All right, guys. So that was Chris Rinney. And that was, uh, man, he was awesome. Great guest there. And I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Uh, things are going well here for me personally. Uh, I'm supposed to be moving into kind of a new studio, I guess, like pretty soon. So hopefully that's going to be in the next week or two, guys. Uh, and it should be an upgrade, I would say. So hopefully you guys will like that as well. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll start doing more interviews and stuff. Uh, but either way, I really appreciate everyone joining us today for the podcast. So you guys can check me out at MM Adam Martin on Twitter. I'm available there anytime you want to talk about MMA. Also check me out MMAOddsbreaker.com. That's my home. Bunch of articles there for UFC on ESPN uh, plus 36. So definitely check that out. MMARings.net. I have an article coming out on the Woodley Covington fight. And of course, BJPen.com podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, that's where the podcast is. Once again, guys, thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the fights this weekend. I'll be back on Tuesday to recap the fights and preview the next UFC card. Have an awesome weekend, everyone. Take care.